you would turn with me this evening to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. This is one of my favorite books in the Word of God. There aren't any bad ones. And this is one that the Lord took me to when he first saved me. And I had many questions and I wrestled and I struggled and John answered many of them. <clears throat> so if you'll turn to 1 John chapter 5. going to read <clears throat> beginning in verse 18. Would you please stand with me? We're going to focus on verse 20. <clears throat> but we're going to read 18 through 20. been studying the life of William Tyndale again. Brethren, 80% of this book was the work of this man who gave his life entirely that people would have the scriptures in the English tongue. There would be no KJV without William Tyndale. He left family. He left friends. He never married. He was strangled and burned at the stake for the crime of translating this book. <clears throat> I would hope that whenever we read it, we realize that blood was shed, that we might have this in our tongue. Let us not take it for granted. <clears throat> First John chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. This is God's word. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and that he hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Holy Father, we have had a blessed season of prayer. I thank thee for all the prayer offered up in the name of Christ this evening. I thank thee for the brethren whose prayers have lifted my own heart. And now I pray that thou wouldst come in thy power. Speak from thy word, O God. If they go away only hearing me, <clears throat> all they've heard is my studies. I pray, O righteous Father, that what they hear is thy eternal truth that transforms, that encourages, that brings life and light. Move in our hearts. Move in the lost this evening and encourage the saved. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. John the Apostle and eyewitness of Jesus Christ, the author of the fourth gospel, is bringing his letter to a close. This son of thunder is probably writing to the church at Ephesus and to other congregations in the surrounding cities. Uh, he now uses the formula, we know for the third and final time, our knowing, our confidence, and our eternal safety in the living God 
is built upon his divine revelation and his spiritual work in us. Let me say that again. Our knowing, our confidence, and our eternal safety in the living God is built upon his divine revelation and his spiritual work in us. John says, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. As we saw on the Lord's day, that means he doth not cons- does not live consistently in sin against God. He says again, and we know that we are of God. That is, born of his spirit. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we know him, that we may know him, that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, there are times when certain passages of Scripture so perfectly summarize Christianity that they deserve our careful attention, study, and meditation. Verse 20 is one such verse. Now, our message then is entitled, He hath given us an understanding. May God, our Heavenly Father, Christ, the Son of God, and the Blessed Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts, instruct our minds, and quicken our spirits in this sacred and infallible truth. May this be the anchor of our souls. And may God's grace grant us the Spirit's power to live by faith in Jesus our Lord. The first thing I would set before you this evening is this. The coming of God's Son. The sacred text says, and we know. And each of us needs to ask. Do I know this? John wants us to know. Quite obviously, the Spirit of God wants his people to know. Can you say with him, we know that the Son of God is come? John reminds us again of the glorious truth with which he began this letter. The reality of Christ's appearance in time and history. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard Declare we unto you all the prophecies concerning the first advent of Christ were fulfilled in his incarnation. John is speaking of historical reality. The prophets prophesied that great and holy coming one. And John says, we were alive when he came. We know. We know. Now, we're thousands of years down the, down the line. How can we know? By believing John and by believing all those who saw him. This is what he wants us to do. He declared that glorious life that came into this world. John speaks to our knowledge of the Son. He says, and we Know. Now, there are two words in the Greek language for knowing. And John uses both of them in this passage. The first is oida. 
which often means knowledge based on observation. Knowledge based on observation. It signifies a purely mental discernment and it can be apart from experience. But it points to a certain knowledge, a sure knowledge. We have that knowledge of the Word of God. We haven't lived the experience of everyone that has lived from Adam until the present. We can't know all the experiences that God's people have known down through the ages, yet we know they've had them because we have it set before us in the Word. We have a certainty that it was a real, it was a historical thing that Christ came. The other word for knowing is genosko. It often suggests progress in knowledge, growing in your knowledge, or sometimes it means coming to know. You didn't know, and then you move into knowing. So, it is often uh, rooted in experience. We used to tell our children, and we wanted them to be clear don't touch the, wor- the wood-burning stove. It will burn you. Now, they had the knowledge of the first sort. They were told by people who were experienced. But they were not. But they knew. <clears throat> but then, the first time they put their hand on it, they experienced it, and they knew it in a different way. So, both of those ideas are in this text. A certain knowledge and an experiential knowledge. They're both here. When he says, we know, we know. This is in this first place. He's talking about the first sort. We have a certain, a confident knowledge. So, One man even translates it this way. We may be certain. We may be certain that the Son of God has come. Well, once again, what John is telling us is an historical reality. The historical reality of Jesus Christ, the Son, the Word. The Greek word translated is come signifies the continuing effects of a past event. The continuing effects of a past event. Something happens and it is continuing to affect us in some way. John's emphasis here, of course, then, is the reality of Christ's appearance. He came and the effects of his coming still echo rebound through history the apostle chose this important word because it includes the fact of arrival and personal presence jesus came and his presence Touched everyone around him, even those that hated him. John's emphasis is historical fact. But it's not just a historical fact. It is an abiding reality. That's what he's talking about. An abiding reality. That's why we're here tonight. Or we're all fools and we ought to be doing something else. And I'm serious about that. We're the saddest of all people for believing such a myth, such a legend, if that's all it is, if it's just a story. Christ is still with us. Christ is still here in his churches. He's here in this church. 
His saving power and His presence by His Spirit is the most important reality on earth. The most important reality in history. Having considered the coming of God's Son, then let's take up the grace of God's Son. The coming of God's Son, but now the grace of God's Son. John says that Jesus hath given us an understanding. Now, what does that mean? The Bible plainly declares that lost men live in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened. It doesn't mean they cannot think. It doesn't mean that they cannot process every word in the Bible. If they can read English, they can read from Genesis to Revelation. And they understand that there's a message here and there are stories here and there are songs and poems here. They can understand all that, but they cannot spiritually understand the meaning of the truth. Their understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Why is it that people won't believe? Their minds are vain. Their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from God and his life. They are ignorant of him. And that is because they are blind in their hearts. In that darkened ignorance, in that blind condition, what possible hope is there for a sinful soul? John's answer is this, brethren. He hath given us an understanding. In this one statement, John brings us to the blessed promises of the new covenant. A new heart also will I Give you, God speaking, a new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. That's God's promise to us. It's something that in ourselves we would never, never be able to do, even if we wanted to. The thing is, who wants to live like a Christian? Go ask the world. They don't know how to have any fun. That's what life is supposed to be about, right? Fun! it's to be about holiness. God never says, have fun, because I am fun. I'm not anti-fun, by the way. But I am anti-making it one of our gods. God says, be ye holy, for I am holy, No man, no woman, no child anywhere at any time is ever going to want that unless they have a new heart. They will never pursue that unless they have a new heart. They will never do that unless they have a new heart. And God promises in the new covenant to give one. A new heart, new control central, new desires, New hungers, new longings, new strength, new understanding. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. It's one of the reasons when people say they're Christians and they live like the world, they're telling on themselves. They're simply saying, I know nothing of the transforming power of the spirit of God. Because he will cause his people to love, walk in his commandments. Now that's either true or it isn't. Once again, I come back to what John has said. Do we know this? 
Do we know this? Well, a new heart, the heart of flesh, his spirit within us, walking in his statutes, doing them, all of this is the saving grace of God. It is his amazing grace. <clears throat> Understanding is the gracious, saving work of God's Holy Spirit illuminating and regenerating our darkened hearts, we begin to understand what God says and what he means. And then we begin to find out that he will give us the power to walk in it. I repeat, understanding is the gracious, saving work of God's Holy Spirit, illuminating our minds, illuminating our new hearts and regenerating us so that we can know him, commune with him, walk with him, love him and love his people. And that is the outworking of God's eternal purpose of redemption for his elect. We see the grace of Jesus in his giving to us. Not only do we know about him, but he gives. When John says, hath given, he uses the same tense as is come. A past action with ongoing results in the presence. Christianity is life. It is a life. It is living in, with, for, and by God. Because he hath given. He hath given something, a new heart, that goes on with results in the present and in the future. Kenneth Wiest says that the words hath given indicate that the gift is in the permanent possession of the recipient. If the Lord hath given you an understanding, you can't lose it. Oh, it may get foggy sometimes. It may get blurry because of our sin. The, the, the pull of the world, the tricks of the devil from time to time may make us very unclear about who we are and what we're doing. But we have the understanding. It is a gift from God. And it's our permanent possession. This kind of giving does not offer something that people may receive or reject. It is given to us. This is the particular effectual work of Christ illuminating his elect by spirit and word. In other words, brethren, we are talking about a miracle. You will never follow Christ. You will never love Christ. Now, the word may float around in your brain, but that isn't loving Christ. Loving Christ is walking with him. Loving Christ is believing him. Loving Christ is hearing, believing, walking in. It's a life of faith, but illuminated by the glorious word of God. And he's given us an understanding for that. Does that mean that uh, new Christians can sit down and within two weeks after their conversion understand everything from Genesis to Revelation? No. But they know the one who gave the revelation from Genesis to Revelation. And the more they fellowship with him, the more their understanding increases. Not only do we see the grace of Christ in his giving to us, we see the grace of Christ in his illuminating us. Now, I pose this question. Can a man in his sinful, darkened condition receive the saving truth of Christ? Can a man or a woman in 
his or her sinful, darkened condition received the saving truth of Christ. The Word of God answers that question for us. The natural man, that means the unbelieving man, that means the unregenerate man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. I'll read that again. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. He cannot. And the word for can is very strong in the original language. He cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. <clears throat> Not too long ago, we replaced all the lights in here. It's become brighter. And these kind of lights have all been touted. It doesn't matter whether they're good or not. It's the only thing they'll let us have nowadays. But in the hopes that they are as wonderful as they were told uh, to us about, <clears throat> they're nothing when the power's off. They can do nothing when the power is off. Many of us have gadgets in our home that are very important to us in our work or in our domestic work. Whatever we do, we've all got refrigerators or computers, all these things. The minute the power is off, <clears throat> they're useless. They cannot work. It is not possible for them to work. <clears throat> A couple of years ago, a huge oak tree that had stood in front of the blue house on the corner for decades and decades went down. I happened to walk into my room just as the tree went down. I've never seen a huge tree like that just fall. <clears throat> and as I watched, I saw something flying through the air. It was the power lines. It pulled all of them down as it went. And everything in my house went off instantaneously. And they were useless. Couldn't work. Couldn't, couldn't contact anybody if my phone ran out of power. That's the way the lost man is. He has no power. What he was made to do, being made in the image of God, he cannot do. And he therefore will not do. He cannot and he does not understand. And he doesn't want to understand. Now I'm not talking about someone who's struggling whether they know the Lord or not. I'm not talking about that. That very well may be the sign of life beginning to grow there. Sometimes our, our great struggles are because we are alive in Christ. But the natural man cannot receive these things. They can hear a sermon and say, that was a good sermon, and walk away as lost as when they came in. So unless God changes a sinner's heart and gives him spiritual discernment, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin will remain foolishness, nonsense, or something unconvincing to sinners. They may not be hostile toward it. It just means nothing to them. In other words, the reason any of us repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he will save us, is this. He hath given us an understanding. That is the reason you're a Christian. He hath given us an understanding. The word translated understanding is sometimes translated mind or insight and means the faculty of understanding, the, the capability of knowing. In fact, William Tyndale's translation and the Geneva Bible's translation of this verse is, 
He hath given us a mind to know him. He hath given us a mind to know him. John means the middle process of reasoning that leads to comprehension. We can sit down. Someone can tell us that we're sinners. If, there, if the power of God is not working in us, we can go, yeah, well, you know, um, nobody's perfect. We can acknowledge, well, I know I do some things from time to time that are wrong. But, you know, everybody does. I mean, everybody lies once in a while, right? <clears throat> but when the Spirit of God begins to work with you, you understand that lie. Any lie, every lie is against the holy God who made you. He made us in his image and we have lived our lives rebelling against him, breaking his laws, living according to our darkened hearts. It's because we have no mind to know him. <clears throat> but God gives us the ability to understand that we're lost, to understand that we cannot save ourselves, that we can understand that Jesus Christ, the God-man, died in my place, bearing the penalty of my sins. And I believe that that's the only hope I have for the pardon of my sins. That's God's work in us. God in his way, God in his time gives the lost sinner the ability to recognize his lostness, his desperate need. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 demonstrates this for us. <clears throat> At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wide, wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. That's what we're talking about. He hath given us an understanding. He has revealed and given us an ability, a mind to comprehend. That is a glorious gift of God's grace. <clears throat> Why did Peter believe that Jesus was the Messiah when the vast majority of the Israelites who had the same promises that he had did not? even in the face of Christ's miracles. Why is that? Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. He hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Again, this is the promise of the new covenant. They shall all know me, and it's that knowing that knowing that arises from having been given an understanding. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus said, These are the words, this is following his resurrection, and he's speaking to his disciples. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then, listen carefully, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. They had walked with him for three and a half years. They had seen his miracles. They heard the greatest preaching that the world has ever heard. 
and they had come to a basic faith in him, but he opened their understanding. And this, that's why Peter can preach, uh, write his letter and preach in the book of Acts, making very clear references to the Old Testament as, as revealing Christ Jesus. Same thing with Paul. God gives that understanding. It is his amazing grace. The Lord Jesus Christ gives, his, uh, gives the ability to his people to think God's thoughts after him. His spirit enlightens their minds to his word and gives them the capacity to comprehend eternal truths. He does not leave them in their natural state. Glory to God. What darkness we were in and what light he has shined in our hearts. He gives them capacity to comprehend his truth. He does not leave them in their natural state. John is telling us that Christians are what they are because of the gracious, illuminating, miraculous work of God's Holy Spirit. And that is the only reason. There is no other. This is the outworking of God's eternal love for his people. He comes to them in their ignorance, in their dark darkness, and he gives them an understanding. Some of the most precious words in the Bible. So let me put it to you this way. Why do God's children believe that Jesus alone is the Son of God? The Christ of God. Why do you believe that? He hath given us an understanding. Why do God's children repent of their sins, confessing them to Christ and trusting his shed blood to cleanse them from all sin and from all unrighteousness. Every one of your sins. Now let's be honest. There are times when you sin against God, you know it and you wonder. Will he forgive me this time? Why would you believe that he would? He's given you an understanding and he's given you an understanding of this book, who he is, what he's done. As I said on the Lord's Day, he teaches you to believe that you have an advocate with the Father. <clears throat> Why do God's children believe that Jesus Christ was crucified upon a cross? The cross of Calvary as their propitiation, that glorious appeasement, that sacrifice which turned away God's wrath. Why do we believe that God the Father turned away his own wrath by giving his son in our place? He's given us an understanding. Why do God's children keep his commandments and walk even as Christ walked? By the way, that's what John says earlier in this letter. We should walk even as he walked. He hath given us an understanding. Why do God's children believe that God loved them first? Why is it that you can't pat yourself on the back and say, I worked up some love for God. That's why he saved me. Why do you believe God loved you first? Why do you believe that he gave his only begotten son that you might live for eternity through him? He's given us an understanding. Why do God's children love their brethren? Because he's given them an understanding. And why do God's children believe that the Son of God is come and is coming again? And that we look with great anticipation for him. He's given us an understanding. Now you don't know that you have that understanding unless you come to his word and sit before it and seek him in his book. Hear his truth preached and said, okay, I heard God's word this evening. I heard God's word on the Lord's day. I heard God's word uh, on the radio the other day. I, you hear his word and you believe it. You know you're hearing God's truth. It's because he's given you an understanding. And we see 
the grace of Jesus in his purpose for us. John tells us that this illumination is so that we may know him that is true. There's that second no, K-N-O-W. And it's also the second Greek word. Christ wants us to know him. The Christian differs from every other human being on the planet because he knows the living God. He doesn't just know about him. A Hindu can know that there's someone named Jesus that supposedly lived 2,000 years ago. He can know that. But that doesn't mean he knows Christ. And it's the same thing. People can sit in what's called a church building for years, for decades, and they can hear the name Jesus and they can be familiar with it and they can sing the, the hymns that they've grown up with and they can know all about Jesus and be sitting in the dark while the light is shining brighter than the sun. The difference between heaven and hell in that context is the difference between knowing about and knowing and the, the truth here is that that ye may know him. Christ wants us to know him. I hope you believe that. The Christian differs because he knows. Jesus makes him know the eternal truth of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives him a new heart and a new spirit. <clears throat> Jesus brings him into living union with the almighty God. The Christian knows Christ in the scriptures, in prayer, and in providence. The Christian knows by faith that Christ has washed away all his sins and granted him everlasting life. All of this is the answer to Christ's prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he might give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. Listen, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. How can you know that God? He gives an understanding. That's an answer. Every one of you that knows Christ is an answer to that prayer. Jesus prayed for you before you ever existed. And at his time and in God's way alone, he gave you an understanding. Some of you growing up in a Christian home have that unspeakable privilege. You heard about Jesus from the time you were little. But each one of you knows it took a while before it actually meant something to you. That is because he gave you an understanding. You heard the words. You could repeat them. Your parents could catechize you. You knew all the truth. But in your heart of hearts, you knew you didn't know him. You knew about him. By God's saving grace, we know him that is true. This is what the text tells us. Truth is is that which really exists. Truth is in exact accordance with that which is. We have an experiential knowledge of Christ that is ours for eternity because he gave you that understanding. Truth is... <clears throat> It means that something is genuine and not false. And it's difficult to tell sometimes in our day. It's been difficult in every age, but I don't know of, a day, of an age that has had more obvious lies broadcast to generation after generation. God is true. 
He's real. He's more real than anything else. And he is true and he is the truth. And you will never grasp that and you will never walk in it unless you've been given an understanding. We see the grace of Jesus in uniting with us and we are in him that is true. <clears throat> there is an effect <laughs> in Christ's coming that is still taking place. And in his coming, he gave men and women and even children an understanding. And he's still giving them understanding. We are in him that is true. It's not only that we believe him. Union with Christ is one of the most precious and important doctrines in all of Scripture. Yet it is one that is little understood and rarely meditated upon. But number one, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God brings his children into eternal and spiritual union with himself. If a man love me, he will keep my words. We hear that? If a man love me, he will keep my words. Underlying that is because you know him. And you know him because he's given you an understanding. You, when you know somebody and you truly love them, it's not just a candy word. When it's real, according to God's understanding, and when it's real, according to God's definition, it is something that is real. It's not something that just evaporates. Uh-oh, gone. That's the way the world operates. If you truly love somebody, it grieves you to think that you could trouble them. It grieves you to be distant from them. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll be walking with me. You'll obey my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We will be united to the living God. Again, the Lord Jesus boldly played, prayed, neither pray, the, pray I these, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one. We need him to give us an understanding to get a hold of that. One. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free or have been all made. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. Union with Christ is Christianity. Union with Christ is Christianity. It's not little, uh, some little part of the pie over here. We are brought into union by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, birthing us into the kingdom and giving us a love so that we can be one with him. I'm not so sure about one another. That's got to go. God's people need to be thinking, how do I be one with these people? Why they don't even agree with me on some things. It's the command of Christ. It was his prayer. Are we thinking I want to be answer to that prayer for that oneness that God has commanded. Well, the last thought here is this. <clears throat> Not only is union with Christ that thing out of which uh, the Christian life emerges but the true identity of God's son is vital <clears throat> we have considered the coming of God's son we have considered the grace of God's son and now we want to think for just a few moments about the true identity of God's son 
John writes, this is the true God and eternal life. Eternal life. Oh, you know, there's just something in our sinful humanness. that when we hear certain things over and over, they generally just become eh, part of the furniture. Happens to Christians. They hear words of life. And there's no thrill in them. There's no excitement in them anymore. There's no joy of heart to know I'm saved by the grace of God, not by my works. God came to me in my darkness and gave me an understanding. Oh, yeah, well, nice testimony. Oh, if you have any testimony at all, you ought to be thrilled beyond your wildest imaginations. Oh, my friends, this is the true God and eternal life. Throughout this epistle, John uses the term Son of God to point to the deity of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. He began his epistle declaring himself to be an eyewitness of the incarnate Son of God. The theanthropic person. There's a theological term for you. Not one we toss about very often, but it's a real word that you'll run into if you begin to read theology. The theanthropic person. What does that mean? You know it. It's the God-man. That's what it means. The for theos, God. Anthropic, man. Theanthropic, the God-man. Oh, much the same way. Uh, he's, he began declaring himself the eyewitness of this person, this God-man, much the same way that he does in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Theanthropic, God-man. When John writes that Christ is true, he's emphasizing that Christ alone is the only hope of life, light, and salvation that exists. This was in direct opposition to the false Christ and the false doctrine invading the churches of his day. He was fighting lies by proclaiming the truth. And he sets before them the God-man, the incarnate Son of God, that miracle that goes beyond our ability to comprehend unless he's given us an understanding. We will never fully understand that. How can have, I've had people come up and say, man, that's stuff about the Trinity. That's hard to understand. That's stuff about the incarnation of Christ. That's hard to understand. Yes, it is. So why do you believe it? Why don't you just throw it out? Why do you believe it's true? Because he's given you at least enough understanding to say that's what the word of God teaches. And that's what I believe for my eternal life. That the God man died for me. Jesus is the true God come in the flesh. The eternal son of God made flesh. He's not an idol of silver. He's not an idol of gold. Neither is the figment of uh, the diseased and darkened minds of lost men. He's not an avatar. He's not one guru. He's not one philosopher among many. He's, Gautama Buddha is not God. The Dalai Lama is not God. Allah is not God. The Tao is not God. Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, Krishna, and Rama are not God. Never have been, are not now, never will be. The God of the Gnostics is not God. The God of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, Christian science, is not God. And tragically, the God of many professing evangelicals is not God, but a delusion hatched from the fleshly imagination of men. That poor little weak Jesus that's trying to do something, trying to save some people. No. He's the true God, and He gives an understanding. 
And that's why people are saved. When he gives them an understanding, they believe that he's the God-man. As much as it is difficult, as, long, as great a mental struggle as that is, how could it be truly God and truly man in one person? But it's right here in the scriptures. And we believe it. So, in his glorious nature, he alone stands in stark contrast to all that is artificial, all that is ex exaggerated, all that is fictitious, counterfeit, imaginary, mythical, simulated, deceptive, fraudulent, pretended, imperfect, insincere, defective, and impotent. He's against all that. He's the true and living God. He, in his essence, he is, in his essence, all that the scripture declares him to be. He is. He is. And he is the true God. He is true in his nature, true in his deeds, true in his promises, true in all of his words, true in all that he is and did. He alone is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He alone can declare, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. So Jesus is the life. <clears throat> Where is life for the dead sinner? but in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we must preach the word. We preach the word. No pastor anywhere can raise the dead. No pastor anywhere can bring a lost man into the kingdom. All he can do is proclaim, proclaim him that is the true God, pleading and, and asking him to come by the power of his spirit and give an understanding But we know that God has an elect, so we know that they're out there. Preach, preach to anyone, to everyone. You'd be surprised to whom the Lord gives an understanding sometimes. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. No man cometh to the Father but by me. This is why John writes, this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Jesus is the true God. And he is life to all who repent of their sins and believe on him. <clears throat> the one true God has given us an understanding to believe on Jesus Christ for the pardon of our sins and life eternal. Let us believe him. Let us love him and obey him as long as we have breath in our lungs and a beating heart. He is worthy. He gives an understanding. Amen. O oh, my Father and my God, how could thou love such enemies as we, such self-worshippers as we, and yet in thy great and astounding love, thou hast given thy son that we might have life. And we are so grateful that by thy spirit thou hast given us an understanding that he is the true God and that he is life. For those who do not know him, grant them understanding. And, O oh God, we pray that thou wouldst be glorified by magnifying thy grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. And the very God of peace, sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting closer. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Amen. Let's go in the name of our Savior.